0: Welcome back to First Generation, a podcast for the first generation Asian kids navigating adulthood. On today's pod, we talk about taking risks, being bold with their actions, but also being self-aware enough to know when it's time to pause or move on. I invited Tina back from episode two, and we talk about how she took the leap to create her own brand of leather camera bags called No More Ugly. As first gens, we may be more risk averse for a variety of reasons, family, finances, or even expectations that we put on ourselves. So Tina and I reflect on how it's easier to take risks if we reframe them, breaking it up into small incremental steps, and then thinking of the worst case scenario. Is it truly as risky as we assume it to be? As I listened to how Tina created the company from the early days of Taobao sourcing and Selling at outdoor markets to what it is today it really solidified this concept for me. Lastly we talk about knowing when it's okay to pause or move on from something whether it be a job or something you've built from the ground up because our lives are dynamic and our needs change as we grow. Welcome back Tina. Uh, You came on in episode two where we talked about Being comfortable in our own skin, trying to understand our identity as um, Chinese born Australians or Americans and how that sort of we had to kind of grapple with our sense of identity in different workplaces as we were growing in our 20s. Um, And one of the items that you talked about in that episode was your time as a freelancer, which was also around the time that you created your own business venture called No More Ugly. And I've always wanted to have you back to kind of talk a bit about that, because I think um, as first generation um, folks, it might be scarier to, to sometimes take on risks that, you know, may or may not have clear monetary returns. Um, so I definitely wanted to hear about your experience doing that. Um, so yeah, tell us more about No More Ugly, your mission, your products, and the meaning behind the name.
1: Thanks for having me back, Jen. Uh, so yeah, No More Ugly is the business that I started. Essentially, the mission was to rid the world of ugly one thing at a time, starting with camera bags. Um, I had a big passion for photography growing up, and there wasn't a lot of good-looking camera bags out there. My dad bought me my first DSLR, and you know I would always travel around with it. When I would frequently travel to Hong Kong, and you know I would do a lot of shopping around hong kong Mm -hmm. and i feel like hong kong always had a lot of interesting things to buy like there's always interesting designs that i don't see from australia um because i lived in australia i see lots of different types of or styles of camera bags out there so i thought oh what if i could bring this type of stylish good-looking camera bags back to australia because Mm. if i had a nice looking camera bag. Um, instead of like a black velcro bulky bag um, I would actually bring my camera out
0: a lot Mm. more and use it a lot more. It's interesting that you get so many ideas as you go off into different places and think about can this be applied back home. Um, So you had the initial idea how long did it take you to actually take that first step?
1: Mm. So I think this idea was just so strong in my mind that I couldn't shake it off and I pretty much like immediately tried to think of ways like how can I bring these products to Australia? Mm. Thinking back, it would be like maybe a month. um, until I took the first step because I figured out what is the first step that I needed to take
0: because I was that passionate about
1: (laughs) about uh, ruining the world of ugly camera bags.
0: I am impressed that it only took a month. I often think that the hardest part of starting something is taking that first step. I think a lot of people do sort of get stuck between that phase of like having an idea and actually taking the first step because there's a lot of self-doubt or, you know, you just can't really see how you can make it successful. And so it remains an idea. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to understand where were you in life and why were you so capable of taking that first step within a month. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so flattering, capable. <laughs> um, yeah, I was 23 at the time, mm-hmm. and maybe I didn't think about it as this big thing like okay I'm Mm. gonna start a business this is my idea maybe it was this feeling of oh I just really like these camera bags and I want to be able to share that with Australia so it was not as big of a deal
0: to me Mm. back then so let's get into that right the process of building the business from scratch what was that very first step then that you took
1: yeah so it's so funny (laughs) um I actually uh, went on to Taobao, which is like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if Anita is listening, mm. she, <laughs> she'll love it. But um, so yeah, Taobao, Taobao yeah, mm-hmm. is essentially a Chinese eBay. Mm. Um, and why I went on to Taobao was because that's where I could find the products that were selling in Hong Kong. And there was just so much variety. The price point was super affordable. Mm -hmm. um much lower than ebay and ebay was already like direct to consumer i mean taobao was direct to consumer but Mm -hmm. i tried to find um suppliers that would wholesale me Mm -hmm. bags so what i did was to test out the market i didn't want to design my own bags because that was a whole other ball game which i didn't know how to do i I was like i don't know how to design (laughs) design and make uh, my own camera bag so Mm -hmm because I already knew there were existing products out there, I um, just thought about how can I source these, right? So Taobao (laughs) was um, where I went to, but I didn't know how to read, I don't know how to read or write Chinese. Mm. So, uh, and Taobao was all Chinese. And this was, yeah, 2013. So Taobao was not big internationally, right? Mm. It was very local. It, It didn't have English. I had to ask one of my then colleagues who spoke Chinese to help me like translate. find, yeah, translate. Like I'm like, okay, I need to find, I need to contact the supplier. Like I'm not just buying one or two bags. Like, mm-hmm. um, can you help me ask these sellers if they would give me a better price if I bought in bulk mm-hmm. kind of thing? And I just couldn't do that myself. So yeah, that was... The first step sourcing
0: my bags from Taobao so that was the first step you took was to test the market mm. and instead of just going head first and design it from scratch you just started reselling yep so what, what were the results from that first mm. thinking
1: back now when I got my first shipment of the bags it's so funny I got it delivered to my then workplace Um, and I like unboxed it it
0: was just like this giant box of Mm. camera bags and I was like unboxing it did they know that you were creating your own brand no no so they were just like why is he buying a ton of random
1: (laughs) (laughs) camera bags and I was so excited and so I had my website up but I knew it's like who the fuck is gonna come to my website you know like People don't know what the hell no (laughs) more ugly is. Exactly, and and so uh, this is how I tested the market. So every Saturday there were these markets in Sydney. Um, Mm. So like think of like stalls. So I would rent a stall in the markets and every few Saturdays I would set up my little display and bring my bags and then I would set it up and all day I would be getting customer feedback. Like people will walk past and then they'll see the brand name and they're like, oh my God. And you talk to people, you kind of get a vibe of the response. They give you kind of feedback on your idea. They look at the bags, Um, they get excited and they take a business card. So that's kind of how I first started actually. The first six months or a year I would do markets consistently to kind of get a feel of what people think and Mm. yeah I I mean I didn't sell that many bags at markets because of the price point but that just taught me so much
0: in like talking to people and what they what some of their concerns were or whether or not they found this idea to be salient, right? Mm,
1: yeah. yeah, I think it was a little bit of validation on the idea. And of course, like you can't take Everyone might walk past and like, oh, that's so cool. And you can't be like, okay, my idea is going to work. As someone said, mm-hmm. this is cool. Um, you have to obviously sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I was confident at that point. Yeah. Um, I was solving a problem for myself that I I know that I'm not the only right. one that has that problem.
0: That's really interesting. So that means your first couple of sales were not done online. No. It was just through these markets. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. And then um, eventually when I was able to direct people to my website, like let's say from in person or via social media, mm. it also helped that I was doing markets. People would be like, oh, okay, I'm going to come on Saturday to see mm. you and buy a bag because they want to see, see it you in person. person. Yeah. Mm. So it was like a nice balance to have the online store and then being at the markets mm-hmm. as well. And also when someone would say, okay, like, when are your next markets? I can meet actual customers. Um, And I think that was, like,
0: very rewarding. Um, Mm -hmm. mm. Okay, now just the logistics. I'm, like, curious. Um, (laughs) How did you get a spot at these markets? Like, I've always wondered, right? Because I love going to farmer's markets. Obviously, not the same thing. But I'm constantly just curious. Like, how do people get spots? They have this map that tells
1: you which locations are available. Mm. And so when you book the stall you just say okay I want this location mm-hmm. and then on the day you literally rock up with all your stuff like in your car mm-hmm. they give you a trestle table and then everything else it's up to you to set up sometimes I would share um the market store with a friend so it was more fun right like we would have the cost and he would have half the mm-hmm. table selling um socks and then I would have half the table selling <laughs> camera bags. so huh. yeah it was it's really it was a fun yeah. time
0: Thinking how long back. did that last for
1: I think markers in total. I did about maybe two years. Within
0: those two years of market life, right? Did you have sales coming in through the website of, mm-hmm. from people who did, who may or may not have mm. gone?
1: Yeah, mm. I think eventually it just organically grew. But like, uh, I did so much. Wow. Um, I was very active in the photography community. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram was massive back back then. Like there were all these meetups, and I would mm-hmm. meet a lot of people. Um, at these meetups and everyone was so lovely and so nice Mm -hmm. and so supportive of the idea um you know they would help me take photos and stuff off the bag and post on instagram they would guest blog for me so these communities that um i met back then Mm -hmm. honestly was they were so supportive and helpful Mm -hmm. um and allowed me to kind of definitely grow the business organically Mm -hmm. um but it was a lot of uh yeah meeting people Mm -hmm. um and really going out there like everything my life was camera bags like when i wasn't working my um day job Mm -hmm. everything was about camera bags like Mm. i was up 6am working on camera bags before i go to work Mm. and then come back from work work on camera bags like i just i loved it but yeah it was a lot of outreach um which was
0: out of the out of my comfort zone at the time Mm. i think but um I love hearing about the nitty gritty of you like trying to build the, up this business. And it sounded like mm-hmm. you enjoyed the process, right? Like it, you know, to to get up early in the morning or work late after work on something that, you know, maybe in the short term doesn't give you any monetary returns is a, it, it must mean that you really enjoyed the process. Though.
1: Yeah, I, I did love it. I think it helped that I was also very... It solved my own problem Mm. and it was exciting to see other people also having that same problem Mm -hmm. and being super excited when they, um, you know, have a no more ugly bag. Mm. Um, and definitely the response and the feedback really helped me, my motivation. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. What were your, like some of the doubts that you had throughout the process?
1: Actually, money was a big (laughs) doubt. Mm. Um, and- family support of it because telling that I was excited to tell them about my business but then I also know I can't tell them this is actually what I want to do like mm. I want to build this up to a point that this is actually only what I do right yeah and this is how I'm going to earn my income. Mm. How can I make it convincing enough so that my family would support me or be supportive of this idea? Uh, I have to show them that it's going to be successful. Mm -hmm. So I think they were proud that like, it's tangible. I can see that you're selling a product and Mm. people are buying it. But deep down, I reckon they still thought that it's a phase. phase. Yeah, Mm. side Mm. thing. It's a phase that she's definitely gonna get over it. They were never like, no, you can't be doing this. So Mm. I'm very grateful. To be honest, At that time, you know, I was still working. Yeah. So
0: it wasn't like you were relying on it Mm, from day one. Yeah. Yeah. They can
1: see it as a hobby. It's fine. Mm. Yeah.
0: I love it. I love this idea of like taking incremental steps. You didn't Mm. go straight to designing it. But now I want to ask, at what point did you start realizing, okay, I think I'm ready to design my own camera bag? Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. I think it was like four years in probably and on Instagram people were asking for backpacks so I I was selling just one style at the time a kind of satchel looking bag but people were asking oh is there something that I can put my laptop in like a Mm -hmm. backpack and I was like oh I would personally love that as well Mm -hmm. and but I couldn't find anything that I liked on the market so that's when I thought okay maybe this is the signal and the time for me to look at how I can design my own and I didn't want to sell I I was ready for it as well because mm-hmm. um, it was the ultimate goal to have like to design my own I don't want to just be always yeah from taobao yeah because people would ask me like customers are like oh did you design this so when i said no i didn't design this it like broke my heart every time Mm. i i said
0: that so yeah i think it was time yeah like how did you go about doing that Where did you go and who did you talk to?
1: Yeah, it was hard (laughs) because I was also, I asked those same questions. (laughs) What do I do? do do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I did a similar thing where I reached out to suppliers, but then I had to research whether they were suppliers or manufacturers. So I needed Mm -hmm. to get in contact with the people that made the bags, not just sold the bags. Mm -hmm. I had a few manufacturer contacts by that time, and I was going to Hong Kong on a trip, Mm -hmm. and I decided I can go to China to meet these manufacturers in the same trip. I lined up like a schedule of I think like three to four manufacturers and so blocked out a day to go to Guangzhou to visit these manufacturers and basically ask them if they would make bags from scratch. I didn't know how to speak Mandarin and I've never been to Guangzhou so I asked my stepmom to come with me. I think this is back to the I am grateful for the family support, right? Mm. Because she was so helpful and she, yeah, came with me to Guangzhou and helped me translate and talk to the companies. They would give me a tour of the factory and then I would ask them certain questions and show them some references. And after that trip, I narrowed it down to one manufacturer Mm. um thought out okay maybe i can test it out with them and essentially they just said yep give us sketches and then uh, we have a designer and i don't know everything seems so easy and probably in like big manufacturing world it is that easy you just like send tell me what you want yeah tell me what you want (laughs) exactly (laughs) it's literally that i was like oh okay they're like yeah we can do it yeah we can do it yeah just just give us the sketches and so i went When I went back to Sydney I was like okay working on the sketches then I'm gonna send it to them they'll send me some feedback um ask me some questions like okay what Mm. type of zipper do you want here like we have this and we have that and also I went home with like books and books of fabric swatches and things like that like they gave it to you Mm. Mm. two months later I was receiving samples of your bag of my bags, yeah. Cuz I I was in a rush. Like they were also rushing me cuz they wanted my business and I was like, okay, I need to like design this bag first. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I took maybe like a month designing the bag, sent them the sketches, bit of back and forth. They were so quick with the mm. bag and yeah, they sent me a few samples after a month or like 6 weeks or something and then that yeah. was like the start of it and it was pretty amazing and that's when I gave it to my friends to test out mm. and give yeah. me feedback mm-hmm. and then I'd do another um iteration yeah. when you say you
0: sketched i don't know now in my mind i'm picturing like an architect building the layout of a home and how specific they have to be when they draw it out mm. so when you were drawing it out did you have to learn how to do it for consumer products or did you just simply sort of sketched it out and then almost like wire framing but for a physical product Mm. Just like, hey, I want the zipper to end around here, and I want compartments to look like this, but not have super specific.
1: Yeah, dimensions. yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. If we compare it to product design, it is mm. wireframing with very specific dimensions. Oh, okay. Also, you know, did a lot of research. I looked at and bought quite a few backpacks so that I could kind of get a feel of what the mm. right sizing is, and then what's the right size to fit a fifteen-inch laptop or that. So, like dimensions, mm. I had to be super specific, but in terms In terms of like the style and the structure of the bag Mm -hmm. I could use references and Mm -hmm. I would draw out the main shape of it what the pockets should be like Um, Mm -hmm. but it didn't have to be as specific as I thought it would have yeah which is good because I don't know how to do that and I it's funny because like when I went to San Francisco a while ago I met a product designer who designed bags Hmm. and I tried to ask him for some advice but In the end, to be honest, yeah, wireframes. with conclusion? Yeah, same
0: conclusion. I think what surprises me about that, and I guess it sort of makes sense, right? Like another hurdle that people, and when I say people, I mean probably me, would have to go through when starting something is you start envisioning all the potential decisions that you have to make, right? If I were to design a Camera bag. I'm like, well, I don't know how to sketch, let alone design something from scratch. A camera bag. Don't I have to go to school for that, etc. And what it sounds like is it was kind of just this process of accepting that you don't have full information and then just still doing it, right? Like you go to this manufacturing company, you get the swatches, and you're like, oh, cool. I didn't think about that. Um, now you have the swatches, and they ask you what type of zipper, and you're like, I don't know. What type <laughs> of zippers know. do you got? <laughs> Right. Yeah. And then you start taking references, like you mentioned, and you pull all of this information together mm. to create your own bag. Yeah. But oftentimes, like if I were to go into this, right, maybe when I was a bit younger, the concern I would have is I don't know a thing about zippers. I don't know what kind of fabric can be used for bags that would make it durable. So you would think of all these things that you don't know, and therefore you're like, okay, I'm not qualified to do this. Mm. Whereas what you did was you went in knowing that you don't know this and just accepted that you'll probably just get the information as you go. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think it's down to accepting that you're not going to know everything, Mm. right? You can't do everything and you're going to need other people's help for it. So yeah. Yeah. Get, uh, get other people's help to fill in the gaps. Love it. And you're going to work it out along the way. Yeah.
0: So at that point, you were four years into No More Ugly. And then after that, you had three solid years of selling your own. Bags? Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
1: I was so happy. Like when I had my own product, like wow, it... Just changed in the sense that I believed in it even more, mm. um, and it was like my baby, it was my identity, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just wanted to work on that full time, mm-hmm. right? And so that I think that's what led to me. Um, it was after I had my own design or launched my own design is when I'm like,
0: okay, I need to give this a hundred percent. That point you mentioned about it became your identity. It's then interesting because now the next part of what I want to dive into is actually knowing when to pause or move on. Of course, it makes sense that you felt a great deal of, yeah, Mm. a sense of attachment to your own baby, but then you decided you wanted to move to Hong Kong. Can you explain how did you decide what to do with your business and why? Like Why was moving to Hong Kong something that you really wanted to do?
1: Yeah, I think I had a lot of internal battles because, yeah, seven years is a long time and I always had that um, desire to work overseas. Mm. But, you know, oh, but I have this business that I am growing and I love it so much and I don't want to abandon it. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that time, I felt like I really needed to be in Australia to build this business, right? And so I kind of put my international working overseas um, desire in the background and I think the last two or three years or right before I actually moved to Hong Kong I was getting quite tired in the sense that because I was working on No More Ugly full-time but I was freelancing and so I was quite burnt out like to sustain No More Ugly I had to have a regular income as well so I freelanced Um, to be able to put the money into No More Ugly. It just got quite stressful. There were things that I didn't enjoy. Like every time a customer emails me about oh where is my
0: bag (laughs) your soul dies a little (laughs) exactly
1: like I hate those emails oh my god I can't do anything about it you need to contact your local post office blah 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 and but I know how it feels when like
0: (laughs) your product doesn't arrive exactly and
1: you know it's Mm. been a while and Mm. during the pandemic oh my god I lost quite a bit of money because of lost packages Mm. um but yeah so I was kind of experiencing more and more stress that I wasn't enjoying Mm. right like I'm I I like pressure like I don't mind stress because if I'm enjoying it, then you know it's it's gonna come out better on the other end, but I could tell that emotionally, I wasn't as excited. I guess it's like quarter life crisis or whatever mm. that you know and this is I, outside
0: of your your business.
1: Yeah, I, mm. yeah, personally, I was closing in on turning thirty, and so I had a moment of reflection and I asked myself what. Do I picture myself doing in the next 10 years? What do I really want to do? Upon that reflection, I realized if I kept going with No More Ugly at Mm -hmm. this moment, it's just one going to stop me from moving overseas, Mm -hmm. trying something different. You know, I like had to talk to a lot of people before Mm -hmm. making that decision. Right. Like, oh, without No More Ugly, what am I? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Like this thing that I've built up for seven years, it's become my identity. Now Mm. I'm going to pause it. Yeah.
1: It feels like such a waste as well. Mm. At that point, I could have actually worked from anywhere and still run my business. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like passive income. I didn't have to deal with it too much. When I moved to Hong Kong, I mm. was still working on the business. It was running on its own. Like mm-hmm. I might just need to answer some emails here and there, but it was those emails that I hated. Like mm. the, where is my package <laughs> emails? And I was like, ah, oh. like mm-hmm. even, even this one communication
0: that I need to do stressed mm-hmm. me out. And that's when I decided to Mm. let it pause yeah your desire to work international i think a lot of people have that desire right it's a it's a personal milestone and i think especially as people who like grew up overseas uh born or raised but you know have their cultural backgrounds in a different part of the world maybe that sense is even stronger because you're like oh i want to go back to my roots um and to learn more about it and feel more connected to it and i'm sure that was part of the reason why you wanted to come to hong kong so What did you think putting down No More Ugly, like not running it for now, has helped you to do in your time in Hong Kong?
1: Mm, It's helped me actually enjoy my time in Mm. Hong Kong. Because if I still had No More Ugly, like I honestly, after work, I would be working. You know, Mm. I wouldn't be able to just enjoy Mm -hmm. uh, the city um, take I walks would feel, yeah exactly mm-hmm. take walks just go out to long lunches on the weekend Um, because mm-hmm. then I wouldn't yeah I would feel constantly guilty mm-hmm. for not working on the business oh actually that's a big thing the guilt the guilt of not spending time on the business was gone mm-hmm. right and I felt quite free in the sense that oh I could enjoy myself without um, feeling like I should be doing something else mm-hmm. or working.
0: Yeah. I think this is just all very different from the normal narrative that people talk about when it comes to like entrepreneurship, this constant hustle culture mm. that people subscribe to. Like, I don't understand that. I feel like there's a time and place to quote unquote hustle. When it gets to a point where you're like, okay, well, I can choose between spending my weekends abroad, answering these customer emails and trying to build the business versus really just taking time to walk around the neighborhood, get to know this place at least for me, I feel like the priorities are are clear and yeah. it sounded like it was yeah. eventually clear for you after many conversations. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was so sold on that hustle culture oh, yeah. and I'm glad I'm out of it now. Like I would be going on holidays uh, traveling and I remember my husband and I traveling to Mexico and then it was like New Year's mm-hmm. and I was like, no, I must launch this bag like by this date and yeah I was just like working in our hotel Mm. and I was like really stressed when the wi-fi was so shit Mm -hmm. um and yeah I was bringing my laptop everywhere with me and and stuff and um yeah maybe it didn't allow me to enjoy the moments and yeah you're right it's like reprioritizing Um, what is important Mm -hmm. to me personally.
0: Well, are you going to, is it truly a pause? Like, are you going to go back to the business eventually? Mm. I'm
1: telling myself it's a pause, but I'm not promising myself anything. So Mm. I don't want to pressure myself that, oh, I must get back into it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I would see myself getting back into it with something
0: a bit different, Mm. yeah. Maybe not camera bags. Yeah,
1: maybe not camera bags.
0: but I don't know what mm. the next thing is. I'm excited, whatever it is. But I'm a little sad. So your camera bag, the backpack, is not going to be back in stock. No, <laughs> because I've been eyeing it for a while. Oh <laughs> I yeah, I don't have a camera, but I figured I can <laughs> put my you know podcast equipment in it.
1: Yes, that would actually be perfect. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. Not right now. Mm. <laughs> Even I only have one camera bag left. So sad. Of each product. Hmm. Yeah. I guess the final question is, what's one thing you would tell your younger self when you first had that idea, but you didn't start it yet?
1: Okay, so the way I answered this question was because I couldn't think of what I would tell my younger self before (laughs) I started it because I'm like, oh... You that was pretty good. But mm. it was more just like if I could reflect on my younger self at that time during mm. the journey, I could have been a little bit more risky and bold with my actions. I'm always safe. I like to, you know, plan in advance and make sure that, okay, is what I'm going to be spending my time on the right thing to be spending my time on because I have so limited resources and maybe I spent too much time like overthinking about what it is that I have to do Mm. you know the 80-20 rule what is the 20% of things that you can do that would give you you know 80% Mm. impact and I was so bogged down on that that maybe I overthought
0: some things that i could have just done Mm. yeah i like this um telling your younger self to be bold yeah and take the risk as it was perceived at the time because yeah like you said if you believe that your natural inclination is to be you know very level-headed or what you said earlier which was safe then likely the risk that you're thinking of taking in the grand scheme of things is probably a calculated one and is not as risky as you think so just do it and save yourself the time not needing to think extensively about it and then i like what you said about like realizing that you should just prioritize the most important decisions instead of going like oh i want to make everything perfect and i I would spend time
1: thinking about which one i should prioritize (laughs) and i'm like by the time I've thought about <laughs> this, I should
0: have just done, done it. Yeah, mm. I really enjoyed talking about this topic with you because when you are the first generation in your family to like grow up in a, a country, like if you have, let's say, financial concerns, it becomes harder to know like what is actually a very safe risk, a calculated risk that you can take because everything kind of seems like it could this could break my career or this could break my earning potential um i feel that way often and now looking back i'm like honestly that was fine (laughs) like why did i stress out so much over that decision Mm -hmm. one of them was like coming to hong kong i actually did did the same thing as you where i asked a bunch of people like what were your opinions? Should I do this? And a couple of people were very well-meaning, but they also were like, oh, don't do it, Jen. You know, like, it's in the middle of COVID. You never know what the job prospects would be when you came back. And, like, you're taking a pay cut, so you're, like, slashing your earning potential. But if you they kind of think of it in a different way, I mean, you still have a job. You get to explore a new country without, like, being homeless. So, actually, it's not mm. it's not as risky as people thought Yeah, it it's
1: like... Asking yourself what's the worst that could happen, mm. right? Okay, if you end up homeless, okay, that yes. that's like maybe you should rethink. Right. But it's not that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, what is seriously the worst thing yeah. that could happen? Yeah. And when you ask yourself that,
0: things become left. clearer. Mm. Yeah. So, take those risks, be bold, just take do things it. A step, yeah, just do it and take things a step at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Break it down. Just do it. Mm. Love it. Nike should sponsor this as well (laughs) um okay thank you so much Tina um for for coming on again and sharing more about your business this time. Um, for those who are listening, thanks so much for choosing to spend time with this pod. Hopefully this week resonates with you just as much. I would love it if you continue to tell me what topics you would like to listen to. You can find me on Instagram at First Generation Pod, or you can just email me and everything is in the description. Thank you so much. So on the count of three, we both say bye. One, two, three. Bye.